Jeremy White podcast. Tuesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Listen, man, brand new EP is available now where music is sold. Uh, it came up. I was checking it out over the weekend as I was doing my walk. And I got to say, man, uh, this is some good stuff. And I, I have good opinions. Stuff. I'm going to talk about. I want to, I want to dig deep into this music. But uh, sure. yeah, Sheepdogs, no simple thing available wherever you get your music. And uh, there's so many great people that you worked with on this as well. I mean, there's just so much to cover. Welcome to the show. The man. There he is from the Sheepdogs. Big Daddy. You and Kurt. Yeah. What's up, Jeremy? How are you? Uh, should, I have, should I let Ryan in too? Yeah, you might as well, I guess. Might, might as well. Trying. He's, uh, he's, he's kind of important. There he is. And there's Ryan. Sweet. Connecting audio. There we go. Hey, how's it going? Nice. What's up? Nice hat, by the way. Export light. Geez, I'm more of a player's guy, but you know. <laughs> it's uh, it's the beer, though. It's not the cigs. What? Is it? Oh, yeah, it's true. It's yeah. The, uh, where, yeah. where are you, Jeremy? I'm in Gunawage. I'm just outside of Montreal. I'm on a native reservation. Oh, oh nice. okay. Right yeah. on, man. Cool. Where are you guys at? You guys in Ontario? Yeah, Toronto. Yeah, we're Toronto. Man, we just spanked your uh, Leafs asses the other night. <laughs> That's right here. Not, yeah. not much about a hockey guy. So. Yeah, Neither am I, but. Ouch. You know, yeah, whatever. I got us. <laughs> Tired of hearing about it. I'm glad they're out, so I don't have to hear people talking about you don't it. Have to hear about Careful, the, Ryan. Yeah. Careful, you don't have to hear man. about the shit anymore. Yeah, you know what? You can't talk shit about the Leafs because you guys would be excommunicated out of the six. I mean, come on now. Yeah, that's right. We gotta keep be very keep it under wraps. Walk a thin line Cut that from here. the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, let's get right into it. The Sheepdogs brand new EP is called No Simple Thing, available now where music is sold. And I was just saying to Mr. Curry off the air, like, uh, there's just so much I want to cover in this, and we don't have a lot of time, so uh, just jump right into this. Uh, yeah, so first brand new music since 2018's Changing Colors. I mean, it's a pretty straightforward rock and roll record. You guys are doing here. You're kind of sticking to the southern rock kind of tone. I love the fact that there's some pedal steel going on as well. There's all kinds of cool stuff. From a production standpoint, I'm really curious because I come from the hair band scene. I love my Motley Crue and my Def Leppard and my Van Halen and Bon Jovi. And the Sheepdogs is the complete opposite of that. But I love it. Is that a question? <laughs> well, it was more of a statement. I was expecting you to say, well, of course you do. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious to know, I mean, talk about the band's sound a little bit because sure. it's a very nostalgic kind of sound, but at the same time, it still sounds fresh and you're bringing a modern kind of twist to it at the same time. Talk a little bit about the band's sound. Yeah, well, we, I mean, when we started the band, which was 17 years ago, almost exactly now, um, it was like we were kicking it in Saskatoon. We were like 19, going to bars, starting to check out live music. And we just never heard the shit that we were into. It was always like uh, ska bands and punk bands and, and metal, uh, emo, that kind of stuff. And we were really rock and roll guys. Like we loved like, you know, Zeppelin, Credence, uh, the Kinks, Beatles, Stones, like right. old stuff, obviously not like 60s and 70s know, stuff, yeah. 60s and 70s. Um, but you know, also more diverse than that. Like, you know, I mean, I can get down with like GNR and, uh, right. and, uh, you know, like we liked television, which is like kind of an art rock band. And like, we were into the strokes and the first couple Kings of Leon's and black keys, early shit and all that okay. stuff. And so we, when we started our band, we wanted to make guitar rock that was like more informed by like our kind of vibes. So, you know, when you buy a guitar in 2000, when we started our band 
you're going to get an amp that when you turn it up, it just goes, you know, searing, like, you know, a uh, slash style tone that just yeah. like you play a note and it goes. Yeah. If you crank up oh. a JCM 800, I mean, it's, it's going to sound like appetite. I mean, <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. You slap a Les Paul in there. And next thing you know, you're, you're playing with Ozzy Osbourne in 1986 or whatever, but yeah, you're playing um, in the dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so like, we were kind of like more into that, like, you know, Keith Richards, like ripping his like five string or, or Fogarty playing his weird, like three quarter size Rickenbacker through like a little weird custom amp, like kind of the old school tones. And it's hard to do. Cause it's like that gear was cheap back then. And now it's like prize and vintage finding yeah, it's hard you try and find like an original vox ac30 and it's like trying to find gold <laughs> exactly oh, yeah, yeah. possible yeah and, and so you know everything we've done since then has been us kind of trying to be old school but we're not like meticulously trying to recreate like there's bands out there that like do their best to sound like Wow, Led you listen Zeppelin to the bullshit that Greta Van Fleet's doing, and it's like, come on, guys, you know. Uh, Although I will I say, I'm gonna just interject because I get it, but people are talking about. But I also think it's rad that they're doing something that's getting young kids into rock yeah. and roll music. I'll take that over, like, you know, a lot of other stuff that's going on. Look, so I mean, I'm, like, they definitely yeah. sound like Led Zeppelin, but I appreciate that they have like, cr like crazy amounts of people that are getting into rock and roll music, and it's like a gateway drug. It's like that's their. Yeah. Uh, that's the doobie into getting into the heroin of rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good gateway drug to have. Yeah, yeah, to be exactly. Fair, I mean, like, listen, I'm not talking shit about Greta Van Fleet. It's like I, I appreciate the fact that what they're doing for the rock scene is huge. It's awesome. But, you know, I mean, would it kill them to not sound exactly like Robert Plant and Jimmy Page? Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> I it, dude, even the drummer's yeah. using like a Ludwig LM402 snare. Like, you know, it's... Well, I, I think that's where like we were very conscious of that. I mean, coming up as a band that sounds, you know, you know, many years before them, we got a lot of that. We got a like, why do you guys sound like you're from the seventies? Why don't you guys sound like mm -hmm. Nickelback or whatever was popular in two thousand six and stuff right. like that? So so much of it was us trying I to do it like, sound like Nickelback. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wanna wanna do it in a way where it was like we don't wanna be derivative directly. We wanna like pull these influences. Yeah. And, you know, so all of the members of the band have different music they like. Like some members are more into like more heavier sort of riffy rock music and other guys are more into like a little bit more melodic sort of like pop music and stuff. So we kind yeah. of all pull that in and kind of make a bit of like a potpourri of stuff. So we really tried out to be like, let's make this song like sound like Tom Petty or something like that. And then write a song that sounds like Tom Petty. We try to, mm. you know, be of that era, but not directly as it goes. Yeah, and it's like I, I talk to a lot of modern rock acts these days where it's like on the pop side, everybody's trying to sound like the 80s, whereas on the rock side, everybody's trying to sound 70s again. And it's even funny, like on the modern country side, everybody's trying to sound like 80s hard rock. I mean, Lady <laughs> A put out a song not too long ago, and it sounds like Pour Some Sugar on Me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, arena rock, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. all arena rock. And, and on, on They're the, the new arena side, stars. Yeah, and on the rock side, everybody's sort of, you know, staying away from the cannonball snare drum and all that stuff, which I love. But, you know, talking about the first song on the CP, you know, rock and roll ain't no simple thing. At the end of the day, I think it kind of is in the in the minds of the sheepdogs because you, you're just playing straight up rock and roll. And Yeah, I mean, it's a simple rock and roll is like a simple art form. Like, you know, they have like some schools for like rock, I guess. But like, it's not like jazz or classical where you like have to have all this theory. It's like 
no. you can get around a little bit on a guitar, you can rock. Like the number of amazing guitar players that really aren't very advanced in, in their skills, like is is long and uh mm. and it's more about spirit and that kind of thing so i think the comment is just that it's like maybe a simple uh art form but it's so important to us it's no simple thing because like i mean just look at this last year without going to rock shows and like the music industry is like pretty frozen so like releases have been kind of sort of like on hold and like us rock fans were like you know starved mm. it's important man yeah well, talk about that being abandoned in 2021 and after the year we had, you know, how do you guys go about promoting this new project and this new EP? Because it's like, you know, you can't go out and do shows. Is, is it, you know, let's stick to the digital. Let's try and do some Zooms with fans or, you know, talk the about Jeremy that. White podcast. That's yeah, obviously. there you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of it, right? I mean, it's funny because so much of what has happened over the years, the last couple of years, has gone predominantly digital. I mean, we are a rock band, and so we do still promote our music by playing shows, and it's very old-school grassroots. We go out and play cities and see them grow, whereas a lot of other artists in different genres will grow. I mean, talking about country music, I mean, most country artists don't go on tour until they've had, like, five top 10 hits and multiple albums. Like, that's just the way it goes, whereas rock bands go and slog it out in the road and build it up a little bit more organically. Yeah. So, I mean, we've gotten more hip to doing stuff online and promoting stuff online, and things have gone that way a lot more. But it is very strange to put out new music and not be able to go play it for people yet. So, so much of what we're doing right now is sort of waiting and seeing where things are going. We definitely have some things on the books. Yeah, that will hopefully happen in the near future, and and until then, and then be ready to go and tour as soon as we can, kind of thing. You guys recorded here in Montreal at the uh, Frank Marino studio. Talk yeah. about that experience. How did how did that all come about? Because <laughs> Frank's was, a monster uh, guitar player as well. I mean, like you know, and that studio is phenomenal. Ryan, you probably speak to that one. Sure. I mean, uh, I'm actually currently working on a documentary about a Montreal band called Tricky Woo. I don't know if you know Tricky Woo. They're oh, tell me about it. They're a wicked uh, like Montreal. Watch, yeah, they're a Montreal band from the sort of '90s. They they sort of they put out music into the 2000s, but their their kind of seminal album is uh, is called Sometimes I Cry, and it came out in 1999. And it's very much in the same ilk as what we do. It's like they were dudes from in the 90s coming up in Montreal, kind of before Montreal became sort of the fame music scene that it did become. And they were making old rock and roll music in an era when like literally the number one songs were like Smash Mouth and, and Britney Spears and stuff like that. And they had sort of like a quick moment of like, they're going to be the next big band. And then it sort of fell apart. And then, as you remember, that a bunch of bands came out afterwards, like White Stripes, Hives, uh, bands like that, that were doing this rock and roll revival. And they sort of just like predated that a little bit. And so it's an incredible record. And so I'm doing a documentary right now about the band and about that record. And one of those members of that band is a guy named Adrian Popovich, who works out of MixArt. Uh, he has his own studio in the building there. Mm. And so I we were coming to Montreal to be able to, to do a live stream thing for uh, the Canadian government. And so I just hit up Adrian and was like, hey, can we maybe come and record some songs at that studio that you work at? Like, because he was always telling us how awesome it was. And I knew that it was sort of this old 70s studio. So it's very much, you know, as you probably would imagine a place that we would record at. Yeah. Um, and so it was cool. So yeah, we like, it was great because we got to record to tape. We got to like all be in the same room together and in an era at a time when, you know, everyone was trying to do things over Zoom and figure out how you could do it. We were able to go in and kind of bubble up and all be in the same room together and, and record these songs. Um, and it all kind of came together through that tricky woo connection and Adrian. So and he was one of the guys that engineered it. Does that help you get into the mindset of recording a record, though? It's like you're really in your element at that point. Hey, we're, we're in the studio. 
all this vintage gear. We're recording to two inch analog, reel to reel. Like, does that help you get into the mood of making a record? Yeah, it does. I mean, I think obviously there's some sound quality that comes along with a two inch tape thing, but I think just equally as important is sometimes I think that's overblown, but the, the, Mm -hmm. the mindset that comes along, like, you know, we're cutting it live. So all five of us are like in a kind of circle playing as, you know, are you telling me you didn't convert it to digital and then go in on the grid and quantize the drums (laughs) and come on, there's no trickery going on here. No, no quantizing. We would, we overdubbed in, uh, in digital, but, uh, there's no, you know, you got to, we would like maybe splice two takes together or something like that, but well, you no, still did it no old fixing. school, still did it yeah. analog cutting that tape. Yeah. There was a, there was razor blades and it wasn't just for the <laughs> cocaine. It was nice. Uh, <laughs> cut the tape. Uh, it's, it's, it gets right. It, it keeps you on your toes. And, uh, yeah, it, I mean like recording is so easy now that you can punch in, you can do things separate. You can record at home and email it to your friend and assemble it that way but we just wanted to get all in the same room and do it sort of eyeball to eyeball yeah there's just something more organic about you know everybody being in the same room cutting it off the floor getting the vibe going and getting that one you know lightning in a bottle kind of take and did, did that happen a lot in these recording sessions i mean that Man, was you know what the it's, main thing yeah it would it's it's as much as it is like the the vibe of getting us all playing together in some ways it's actually like just better because it's uh when you do things one at a time it's really easy to put every part under a microscope and get fixated on perfection and get bogged down mm-hmm. and then when you play everything all together the little imperfections you never notice them if you solo something you might be like oh i noticed that the bass does a little thing here yeah but when you don't listen to it solo and it's in the mix you're like sounds great and you'd never bother fixing in. it and, and just, so many, so many records are like that, like Stones records and stuff, where there's like straight oh, yeah. up mistakes yeah. and missed notes and wrong notes, and they just in the mix you don't even notice it until you really pay attention. It's pretty funny. Well, and I think know, there's I, also an energy thing, right? Like I think that if you're yeah. all in the same room and you're vibing off each other, I mean, think in this case, right? We'd been the longest we'd ever been apart, not doing some sort of music together, like five months or something like that. And so we're all excited to be doing it. So there's like a certain energy, and that you know feeds off each other because I think recording all separate there's not that push and pull that comes from the live aspect where like two guys playing guitars together or two you know myself and sam the drummer like doing rhythm section together and kind of the push and pull that comes from a little yeah. bit of speeding up a little bit of slowing down or like me hitting a note when he's it's hitting a human. snare drum yeah exactly and so it makes it that more more of a human element to it and it injects some of that energy because we were like straight up just stoked to be <laughs> back yeah. playing music in the same room because it had been so long right you know, it's funny. One of the most profound things anybody ever told me was Gene Simmons from Kiss. He was talking about the old 70s records, and he told me, he's like, listen, whenever you're making your own kind of you're in the studio making your own music, the perfections are in the imperfections. Don't overthink it. Mm-hmm. And you listen back to a lot of those records, and it's so true. Like you said, there might be some, like the bass might be doing some harmonic part like behind the, the guitar, and it's buried in the mix. But if it's not there, well, then you notice there's like a little bit of what's missing in that spot, you know? Yeah. Well, one of the things that led us to go down this route, this road on this record was the previous record we did. It's a big sprawling record and we did a bunch of it overdubbed and a bunch, some of it like, you know, bass and drums and, and guitar cut together. But mm. there was like some songs where um, Ryan and Sam were playing, you know, side by side, side by each, as you uh, French Canadians would say, <laughs> in, the, in the studio. And uh, and I was just trying to talk to our engineer. I'm like, why do the drums sound like have a different sound to them? 
and it's on this compared to this other song where we did it separately you know overdubs and the only explanation we could get because it's the same kit and everything was just that they were playing at the same time and there's some interaction that occurs when they're playing together that just is missing when you overdub and and so there's like all recording is so befuddling because you learn so much every time you record but the more you learn the more you realize that there's like there's no one way to do it you got to have some plan of action and some yeah. strategy but also you got to be open to just the unpredictable nature of you know magic accidents and all that kind of stuff and you got your a r guy from warner over your shoulder saying ah maybe you should do this maybe you should do that <laughs> That's the great thing about a pandemic. There's nobody from the label ever came over. So. <laughs> are, they are usually you, let us alone anyway. Yeah. So you do your own thing. Are you, are you guys self-producing or do you have, you know, like a Ted Templeman in the studio with you or a Roy Thomas Baker kind of like guiding you guys or what, what's the deal? <laughs> oh, man. Those are a couple of my fave dudes right there. I wish we had Ted Templeman rocking with us. Uh, <laughs> I have produced uh, I'm, most of our records, I guess, but uh just i mean i would be open to working with somebody but uh i don't know the the era of the super producer it's different now nowadays the super producers are i guess more sort of in the pop world and you know i guess if pharrell wanted to get involved in a sheepdog record i'd be open to hearing his ideas on that but in the rock world it's like it doesn't really make sense i don't think for like i don't know who the sheepdogs would get paired with like bob rock or somebody well that's it you know i mean like doesn't wouldn't it help at the end of the day doesn't it help to have a separate set of ears from outside the organization to say hey you know why don't we try this or maybe we should try that you know if if bob rock came in maybe he'd bring some ideas that you necessarily think i think I think there's probably some of that. And I mean, obviously, like Nick and Adrian, who engineered the record, I mean, their job was to make it sound good. And they ran that side of things. And they would, you know, are yeah, helping but engineers, they're monkeys. They set up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those that, guys are know. both pretty smart dudes. But I think it's, it's that old school saying those who can't do engineer. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> no, nah, but those guys are those guys are good. And they would like yeah. make suggestions here and there. But the biggest thing would be you know, I think we're pretty, we're pretty actualized in what we do. And we kind of have a, there's a method. I think a lot of producers, when you think about those super producers, they're taking a band who are sort of like, not really sure what they want to be. And they're kind of helping like mold them a little bit. I think we're pretty actualized. Any sort of person bringing it in, like you and said, like someone who might be interested, it Mm -hmm. would sort of be more about like, yeah, getting that outside opinion, but also we're doing pretty good kind of doing our own thing and following our, our kind of route on things too. Right. Maybe like a Nigel Godrick or something like that. Like a, somebody from sort of that like arty rock world or something would be cool. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like, geez, who else could you bring in? Uh, I mean, Bob Rock looks like kind of a puss in that uh, Metallica documentary. So I don't know if he's. <laughs> when he's trying to get the solo of all solos out of Kirk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's There's an amazing so much. documentary. It's such a good documentary. <laughs> it's great. I've been interviewing a lot of people that have been working with Mutt Lang because Mutt Lang's my favorite producer of all time. He's like, oh, yeah. Idol. Yeah. And it's so incredible to hear some of the stories that have come out of res- sessions with the guy. You know, it's like. Uh, Jeez, I, uh, this Saturday, I'm talking to Phil Collin from Def Leppard again. I had him on back in January, and I was talking to Mickey Curry, actually, from Brian Adams' band last week, and he was just talking about how just profound some of the things that go on in the studio working with Mutt, like, from the fact that, I mean, you know, he did all this stuff with Def Leppard, making them record one string at a time for a little verse guitar part versus... That's insane, though. I've heard that story. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It's a big misconception because people think they made him, he made them do the entire songs one string at a time, but it wasn't true. It was more of like in a pre-chorus of one song and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, I, I love it. You know, the thing I respect most about him is he was married to Shania Twain, so, you know, that's kind of yeah. like the ultimate right there. 
Come on yeah. over is one of my favorite records of all time. So. <laughs> she's, a, yeah. she's a legend. Yeah. Well, you guys got tour dates in February of 2022. Going to be going all across Europe and going to be hitting London and the UK and Manchester in March and all these. Any any plans for, you know, I mean, the country's kind of opening back up a bit, you know, maybe towards the end of the summer. We'll see a couple of Sheepdogs gigs here at home or. Yeah, there'll be there's some stuff coming down the pipe. It's just a matter of, you know, most things aren't going to get announced until they know that they're pretty certainly going to happen. Anything that's been announced already is probably going to, you know, has moved or whatever. So, um, you know, we we don't want to go out and do shows where it's like a venue where you get 100 people in there, even though it normally holds 2000 or whatever. Like we want to. Well, hey, we, just think you'd sell out every venue. I know it'd be great. I know that was the time for us to play like Sky Dome or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We'll the Enorma Dome. Sell 100 yeah. tickets. Complex, <laughs> yeah. Sold out. Sold out. Yeah. <laughs> Over capacity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's all about kind of wanting to like not rush it and and go and do shows when it makes sense to do them. Those Europe dates, you know, that's stuff we've had in the books for a long time and have moved multiple times. Mm. Uh, and we want to get that up and, and there'll obviously be Canadian touring that will go along with that. And hopefully, you know, come 2022, I think there's going to be no shortage of concerts coming that, you know, both yeah. us and everybody else. So we want to sort of come yeah. at it in a way that makes sense for everybody. Cause I think people are going to, people miss concerts now, but they're going to be like overwhelmed by how every night there's going to be like 20 concerts. Cause everybody's trying to make up for lost time. Dude, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a battlefield of who's going to get whose money because yeah. the amount of tours are getting announced now and the, the price of concert tickets, it's like, you know, I'm mean, supply and demand. Okay. But it's like, you know, the weekend and all the big major arena acts, their prices have gone up. Well, and get ready because they're going to go up even more because this is the whole thing is that uh, the big part of getting concerts to come back is going to be involving some sort of rapid testing. So like mm. uh, sort of like how you go through the security turnstile and get the old like beep thing, you'll probably end up at the beginning having people doing rapid testing and there'll probably be like a COVID-19 surcharge or something as part of it. So, I mean, so much of what we do is we try to make stuff as affordable as possible because we don't want there to be like a financial... I mean, yeah. it's it's expensive putting on concerts. Like there's costs involved and we need to like, you know, make money and stuff too. But we're always pretty conscious of our concert ticket prices. Like we don't want it to be like that. Like you said, like going and seeing some of these big acts at Arena is like, you're talking like sometimes over $200 for a ticket. For a nosebleed. You know? Yeah, exactly, right? But then so, again, I understand it because they have a lot of overhead. Whereas, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's not the music hobby. It's the music business. This isn't, right. it's, a, it's a career, so... You know, people will pay for it. Uh, just real quick before we wrap up, I mean, you know, you guys were former Record Store Day ambassadors for Canada. The big day this year is June 12th. Uh, obviously, you're printing this EP on vinyl, I would think. Yeah, actually, I, I just announced today because we did uh, a colored vinyl thing and we did it as an exclusive. Hmm. Like we sold a handful, like we sold a couple hundred uh, pre-album kind of pre-sale, but I held back uh, a bunch so that we're doing a record store day exclusive for all the indie stores in Canada. So nice. there's a colored vinyl that's only available uh, at Canadian independent stores because we like recognize like small businesses are just like getting so fucked over right now. Brick and mortar. And so, it's crazy. So we really want to like help support, keep those things to us. It's so important. Those indie record stores have always been champions of us, like mm -hmm. pre-success and now, you know, post having success. So, you know, we've, we did that thing so that if you want to get a colored vinyl, you have to go and give your money to a local store rather yeah. than necessarily. Yeah. Trantois tours in the plateau in Montreal or somewhere. And yeah, that's one of the ones that's one of the ones I have. I just went through the list uh, this afternoon to make sure I tagged everybody. <laughs> so, oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to go and pick that up on next Saturday then. Uh, yeah, that I know that it's there. Yeah. I mean, okay. it's before record store day. So we wanted to like get it out, um, you know, for people, but yeah, it's a, it's a thing right. you can only get at Canadian independent record stores. So sweet. Cool. 
I'm gonna have to go pick that up. I got uh, I interviewed Kenny Loggins this week, and his his press nice. uh, his uh, his uh, publicist sent me a test pressing of the of the record store day thing. So I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> Got my cool. pressing. <laughs> I'm a big vinyl guy too, so I saw the big collection behind. I'm like, these guys must be vinyl dudes, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, right there. 180 uh... gram colored. Is it gatefold? This uh, this thing going all out or? No, you know what I did with this one? We decided that like we wanted to keep the price down because the more of that stuff you put on there, the the price just like goes to the roof. Yeah. So we did like pretty basic uh, packaging. There's a. Uh, an alternate screen printed poster that's in there. So we screen printed like an alternate cover. That's a poster that is the same size. So you can like display it with the record right. if you want. Nice. Um, that's a limited, you know, limited to 500. And then it's, uh, yeah, we didn't go too crazy with the packaging because we figured better, you know, but it's colored vinyl. It's 140 gram. It's not 180. So damn, uh, just because again, I don't, we don't want it to be like $50 for a six song EP. Right. That's so. it. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. I mean, fair enough. Yeah. Anyways, well, the Sheepdogs, no simple thing. It's available now. Go pick that up at your local record shop. Support local, support new music, support everyone, you know. And uh, a friend of mine is good friends with Ted Templeman, so I, I'll tell him you said hi. <laughs> cool, man. Big, big Doobie Brothers and Van Halen fans. So there you go. Wanna, What's your favorite Van Halen good. record? My favorite band of all time? Uh, probably one, maybe two. Yeah, probably one. Same. No Van Hagar? Ah, come on. Diamond Dave. <laughs> hold on. Wait, hold on a second. Hold on. I'll show you some Van Hagar. Here you go. Right in front of me. Boom. There it is. <laughs> there <laughs> nice. you go. <laughs> nice and Chicken foot or what? <laughs> Actually, you know what? The Foreign Lawful Color Knowledge co-produced by Ted Templeman. So Yeah. yeah. Hey, I mean, the, the I, I, it's fine. You know, it's it's good. It's a good era. But, like, you know, how can you how can you front Diamond Dave? Like, the guy's a, maybe the best front man of all time, maybe. He is. There's no argument there. The, the yeah. funny thing about Ted Templeman too is like he did that first Doobie Brothers record, which was like a pretty big, like mm -hmm. it was a kind of a flop. And then it was sort of seemed like this guy doesn't know what he's doing. And then he goes on to produce all those other records afterwards. Like that's pretty amazing. And obviously the Doobie Brothers went on to be crazy yeah. successful too. And he did a bunch of Doobie Brothers records too, didn't he? Mm -hmm. He pretty much yeah. did all of them. Linda yeah. I remember hearing it. like when he did, there was a lot of hype around that first Doobie Brothers record and him doing it. And it was you know, considered like a commercial flop. And then mm -hmm. the guy went on to do some crazy stuff. I didn't realize that he did that Doobie Brothers record. I mean, I like both those, right? I didn't realize he was the same guy. He was the same guy until recently. Little Feet as well. Yeah. yeah. And he he also was the one that got Michael McDonald to go and uh, co-write All Wait for Van Halen on the 84 record. So That's amazing. Uh, I, I actually knew that based on me only discovering that and going deep on the internet about it. Yeah. So that's great. <laughs> There's a, did you guys read the Ted Templeman book? It came out last year. It was uh, my buddy Greg Renoff. He's the one. He wrote Van Halen Rising and he co-wrote the uh, Ted's autobiography with him. And it's, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Check it awesome. out. I wanted to read that one that the Van Halen manager wrote. Oh, Noel Monk. Yeah, that one's okay. But if you really, really, really want to find out and learn about how Van Halen became Van Halen, get Van Halen Rising by Greg has Reynolds. It got, has it got saucy stories? Well, it's more about, you know, how they went from playing the backyard parties to getting signed and eventually becoming Van Halen. The cool. the Noel Monk book is more like kind of like the scandalous stuff of like, you know, I, yeah. I interviewed Michael Anthony back in March and we were talking about the book. And he said that I asked him, I was like, what did you think of Van Halen of um, Noel Monk's book? And he's like, wow, a lot of it is sensationalized. Like, you know, around 84, he was more interested in catching the scalpers and the the. Uh, the the pirate t-shirt guys outside the venues as opposed to actually sure. like kind of managing us but we were like you know <laughs> we'll take care of the music you go take care of the uh the uh the knockoff tees you know that's so, that's awesome yeah but they're all good books so 
Check nice. Anyways, all right, awesome, boys. Well, man. it was so great to meet you. This was awesome. Yeah, man. We'll do it again sometime. Thanks for having us. Yeah, man. Thanks, dude. Yeah. Peace. Next time we're in Montreal, we'll, uh, we'll grab a beverage. Looking forward to it. Awesome. All right. See ya. The Jeremy White Podcast. Tuesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Available wherever you get your podcasts.